Welcome to the Life and Legacy Show, where we discuss all things elder law, estate, and legacy planning. Hosted by certified elder law attorney, Tim Seckler, from the Seckler Law Firm. And now your host, attorney Tim Seckler. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Life and Legacy Show. My name is Tim Seckler, owner of the Seckler Law Firm. Uh, with law offices around Pittsburgh. We do estate planning, estate administration work, and elder law. And uh, the Life and Legacy Show is an opportunity for uh, for me to get to know you, you to get to know me, and we're going to do some legal and technical know-how, some things I think you might need to know if you're considering doing some planning, uh, if you are concerned about somebody else and, and wanting to get them to do some planning so that uh, so that their life is better, so that their kid's future is brighter. Uh, we're your guys. That's That's kind of the business we're in. We talk a lot about money. We talk a lot about preserving it and not losing it, but what we're really doing at its core, what we really do is we help make sure that a a life of hard work and sacrifice, the final chapter of that story is worth telling, that it's it's not... Uh, something that uh, that people say, if only he'd have planned better, if only she'd have thought about it, if only they'd have known. And and so, um, what what the way I see it is, we help people write the last chapter of their lives and and do it in a successful way to honor the legacy that it is. But you know, sometimes that gets screwed up. And and uh, and uh, so, what are the ideas? What are the things we could do with an effective estate plan to help make that? Uh, to help make that better. But before we get into some of that stuff, I want to talk to you about uh, the 4th of July. It's 4th of July weekend. Maybe you're listening to this on the way to a family get-together or a picnic or, or a beach trip or something. Uh, and I hope uh, that you have a, an awesome holiday. I hope the weather works. I hope you have an enjoyable time. Um, and I also hope that you don't lose sight of what the 4th of July really is. You know, it, it seems to me that... Um, Memorial Day that we celebrated a month or two ago is is celebrated as the kickoff of summer and it's and it's known for it's known for hot dogs and barbecues and cookouts and s'mores and all of that but that's not what Memorial Day is really all about that's how we celebrate it but that's not what it's all about and I hope that we're taking the time to teach our kids what Memorial Day is all about is um is honoring those who gave their lives so that we can have this amazing lifestyle. That's that's what it is. And you know, I I, uh, I every Memorial Day make my kids listen to this uh, to this piece that was written by uh, a former uh, special forces guy named Jocko Willink. And if you, it's a it's a it's a great message any time of the day, any time of the year. Would search for Jocko Willink and his Memorial Day message. I think he first recorded in like 2018, but I make my kids listen to it every year, and I'm in tears by the end of it. And here we are, you know, moving into the Fourth of July weekend. And Fourth of July is really about the same thing. What Fourth of July is about is is honoring the first people who sacrificed or or risked their lives uh, so that we could have a better future here. You know, imagine the gumption it took to sign the declaration of independence. You are essentially daring the most powerful military on the planet to come kill you. Uh, and, and I just, I, you think back on the level of commitment and the, and the level of appreciation that those folks had for what this country could be and what freedom could really look like. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm in awe of it every year. And, and just, you know, my message for you is please just take a time this this uh, weekend to think about that, to teach your kids about it and and to talk about it. Um, and, you know, now I look around at what's going on and, you know, public events. We've got 
got a situation, you know, where we're withdrawing all the American troops from Afghanistan. I, I have feelings about that. I served in Afghanistan back in 2005, you know, and it's crazy for me that my military service over there was 15 years ago um, and that perhaps it is time for us to come out. But I, I, I'm, I feel like the whole world is crossing their fingers on that one because uh, you have to think that, that the bad guys are just waiting for us to leave. But in any event, I, I guess that's not the purpose of this show. Um, what I really thinking about is, is another war, a, a war that is going on, whether you're paying attention to it or not. Uh, and that is the war in the middle class. Um, I'm seeing it. And if you look behind the curtain of what's going on, you should be seeing it too. You know, and, and some of the things that have happened just in the last couple of years and, and what I'm seeing going on out there is it is really hard uh, for middle class people to stay in the middle class. And it's exceptionally hard for middle class people to, to, to find some upward mobility. Um, you know, I, I it for a lot of my clients, it seems like the, the ultimate goal of leaving a legacy, of leaving money or assets to the next generation what that really is all about is making sure that our kids, if you have kids, if, is that they have a better chance at a brighter future than I did, right? That's That seems to be the sentiment. I want to make sure that my kids have the resources they need so that maybe they don't have to work as hard as I did or that maybe they get to see the things that I didn't get to see or that maybe they get the opportunity to live a comfortable lifestyle that, that I didn't always get to do. And that seems to be the underlying sentiment, but I can tell you, I'm, I'm watching a series of laws and a series of events make that hard, okay? And if, if, we, if we talk about, for example, the COVID lockdowns last year, now, I'm not going to go into conspiracy theories about why or how or whatever, but if you look at the effects of the COVID-19 lockdowns last year, small businesses shut down. I've got personal friends who had risked their life savings opening businesses and they are no longer in business. You see restaurants shut down. You've seen other personal services companies shut down. And and it's just heartbreaking. As an entrepreneur myself who, knock on wood, has seemed to have made it through the shutdowns and stayed in business, and, and you know now we're, we're doing well again, I, my heart just goes out to those people who risked it all on their version of the American dream and had it taken away by government rules and, and by this disease that required those government rules. And it just it, it's just heartbreaking. And, you know, but a lot of those companies that went out of business were owned by middle class people trying to create a, a better future. And then you take a look at the jobs. You know, the jobs situation is rich people did better than middle class people who did better than poor people. Um, with jobs themselves. Now, you could argue with unemployment benefits and all the rest that the lower that the lower uh, tiers of wealth did okay through this time period, from at least from a cash flow standpoint. Uh, so who got who was in the middle? Who got beat up again? It's the middle class guys, right? And and then now and then you look at education, right? The same thing happened through COVID nineteen. If you if you do your homework on it, wealthy people did better in progressing their education, and their kids did better than progressing their education than the middle class and the, and the poor people. And so all of this led to a, a divide between you know the rich and the poor and the rich and the middle class. And if we're if we're if we have the goal of progressing in lifestyle and wealth 
from middle class to upper middle class to wealthy. And I don't know that everybody has that goal. I'm pretty sure most people don't have that goal. Most people are very content where they are and they're happy with where they are. But then a lot of people do want to to improve their financial position. And I'll tell you, I've seen a series of things that are happening in the way that the world works that are making that tough. And one is this issue of long-term care. People who need long-term care uh, who are super wealthy, it's not really that big of a problem to them. They can afford ten dollars or $11,000 a month. They're not going to break the bank over it. People who are flat broke get their care for free. Medicaid. People in the middle class, well, people in the middle class, they have to pay privately, and they can't afford to do it. If you take a middle class family, they can't afford $130,000 a year in long-term care expenses. right? And so... Uh, this is an issue that is wrecking families, financially speaking. You know, it's, it's taking away the life's work. It's taking away the ability to leave a better future for your kids. It's taking that all away. And one in three of us is going to have dementia. So if you take the fact that a nursing home costs $130,000 a year and that one in three of us are going to have dementia, then, my goodness, what are we going to do about it? What's our family's plan for this issue? Because that's just dementia, right? The one in three, that's just dementia. That doesn't mention Parkinson's or mobility issues or COPD or any of the other things, head injuries, strokes, that could result in the need for long-term care. Uh, And so I I implore you, folks, to think about that. If you are a a senior, if you are a baby boomer, or if you're a retiree or about to be retired— You need to be thinking about this. You need to talk to to us or to somebody that knows something about how this system works because I'm seeing families go broke over this stuff. Um, Hundreds of families every day in Pennsylvania have to admit somebody to a nursing home, and that is an $11,000 a month problem, and your family can't deal with it. You you can't afford $11,000 a month like, like the rich folks can. Okay, so what are the options? Well, you can buy long-term care insurance. Most people don't. The other thing you can do is you can protect assets. So what does that look like? People give their stuff to their kids. That's generally speaking a mistake, okay, because you've given up control. You give up access to your own money. Um, you you make a tax problem, uh, a tax mistake with regard to capital gains taxes on that house. And, and so um, the better way to do it, if that's, a, if that's a concern that you and your family are are concerned about, you ought to come to one of our workshops and find out about asset protection trusts. There are trusts we can use to protect your assets from long-term care expenses, and it's something you ought to consider. You at least ought to know more about it. You don't have to do it, but you at least ought to know about it. If there, you know, it, A lot of Americans go through life not knowing that this issue exists. AARP did a study, and it was something like two-thirds of all retirees thought Medicare paid for the nursing home. Medicare doesn't pay for the nursing home. Medicare is an acute care provider. They will pay for your heart attack. They will not pay for long-term care associated with something like a stroke or Alzheimer's disease. And so quit living in that shadow. You are on your own if it comes to long-term care, right? So what are you going to do about it? Well, if you can shelter assets, if you can use a trust, if you can use something to say, oh, there's this entire vehicle over here that allows me to protect my home, protect money so my kids get it rather than the nursing home, that that sounds like a good idea to me. you know. But it, with this issue, it's almost like there's a whole bunch of Americans going around that know nothing about this, okay, and they're not doing anything about it. It's like it's like a whole bunch of people not knowing there's such a thing as car insurance or, or fire insurance for your home, 
right? Imagine if just people said, well, look, I know my house could burn down, but I'm not going to do anything about that, right? No, no one does that. We all buy insurance. Why? Because if the house burnt down, it's a catastrophic event. If my house burns down and I don't have it insured, I'm not coming back from that one. Right? Everything I own just went up in smoke, and so I have to insure it. From a financial standpoint, I have to insure it. Well, the nursing home is the same effect, guys. The nursing home will take your home, and not directly. It's not the nursing home's fault. It's the government rules. But you, you could stand to lose your house. You could stand to lose everything in your house. And, you know, we, we need to take steps. I, okay, all right. I guess I'll get off the soapbox on that one. But listen, this is a, a fundamental problem in the United States that we are allowing our seniors to go broke. Our healthcare system picks winners and losers based on the healthcare event that you're ultimately going to have. If you have a heart attack, Medicare pays for that. Coinsurance co-pays, yeah, but Medicare pays for that. If you have a stroke and you end up in a nursing home, Medicare doesn't pay for that at $130,000 a year. So we are picking winners and losers based on the healthcare event you may eventually have, which is almost entirely outside of your control. Right? It seems to me that things that cause heart attacks cause strokes. So which one's it going to be? Or is it going to be dementia? Because if you have a heart attack financially and you can recover from it, if it isn't you know, the one that takes you, if you can recover from that financially, you and your spouse are okay. But if you have a stroke and you go on to live for five or seven years in a nursing home thereafter, your spouse is in trouble. Uh, and so it is on you to step up and do something about it. So that's one thing that is occurring behind the scenes. And, it, you know, I don't want to say it's intentional or to get into it, it's a conspiracy. I'm just saying it's an issue that is making it harder for you and your kids to experience upward mobility or maintain their status in the middle class because you can't afford $130,000 a year. And there's another one that I think was a little bit more devious, and I think it was a little bit more... Um, scary from from an uh from a legal standpoint and that was this thing they passed last year called the secure act now i don't know if you know about the secure act i've done episodes on the secure act in the past uh if you don't know what the secure act was you need to read this um the secure act was a major change in the tax law for most listeners most middle class listeners this was the biggest Changing the tax law in your life, and, and most people don't even know what it was. It was passed in October of 2019. It came into effect in January of 2020, 2020 uh, rather, and, uh, and it was hidden under all the news of COVID-19 and all of that, okay? Here's what it did. It used to be the case that with your retirement account, like your IRA, 401k, 403b, these, these tax-qualified accounts, it used to be the case that if my dad left me a $200,000 IRA or $100,000 IRA or whatever, make up your own number, I used to be able to take that number and turn it into my retirement account. I could take dad's tax-deferred money, put it in my name, and I could continue to grow that money over time tax-deferred, right? So no taxes until the money comes out. Now, there were required minimum distributions, but if dad passes away, and let's say I'm in my late 50s, if dad passes away, well... I could continue to defer the distributions on that account for 30 years. 30 years tax-deferred compounding growth. Now, guys, money doubles every 10 years if invested at 7%. 
So if he left me, let's just say I, I inherited $100,000 of an IRA and it gets to double every every 10 years for 30 years. So it goes from 100 to 200. It goes from 200 to 400 in the second 10 years. And then it goes to 800 in the third 10 years. So dad's $100,000 IRA might mean as much as $800,000 to me as his kid. Right? And who has the IRAs? Well, the poor people don't. The rich people don't. Well, they might, but it's a small percentage of what they own. Middle class people have the IRAs. And we have the IRAs because we've been good boys and girls our whole lives, and we've taken the company match, and we've we've followed the traditional advice and the promises of tax-deferred growth, and these are, these are a gift from the IRS, and you need to let that money grow, right? We, we've all heard that. Well, one of the promises they made us was if you keep your money in a retirement account and you leave it to your kids, when you pass away, your kids will get a retirement account. <clears throat> that was part of the deal, folks, until the SECURE Act. Now, that deal is gone. When you pass away and you leave your IRA to your kids, they no longer get decades of tax-deferred growth. They have to pull all of the money out of that retirement account Within the first ten years after they passed away, after you pass away, so let's go back to my dad leaving me a hundred thousand dollars. In the previous example, over thirty years, if I were in my late fifties, over thirty years, I could let the money grow to eight hundred thousand dollars. Now I've got to pull all the money out and pay taxes on it in the first ten years, so I don't get thirty years tax deferred growth on that money. Nope, Uncle Sam gets his cut in the first ten years, and on top of that. Not only do I lose tax-deferred growth on the money, what do we know about most people in their 50s? They're still working, which means if dad leaves me his IRA and I'm in my 50s when he passes away, dad, I hope you live longer. I really do. I hope you live longer. But if you pass away when I'm in my 50s, now I don't get the 30 years tax-deferred growth. Now I got to take it all in 10 years and I'm still working, which means... I've already got a lot of ordinary income. So I've got to take dad's IRA and put it on top of my 1040 ordinary income. And I'm going to pay ordinary income tax rates on those dollars. It's going to bump me up in tax bracket. I'm going to be pushing up against what the 32 or 35% tax bracket. Forget about the tax bracket. Cause those suckers are going up anyhow, because the government gave away the farm last year. We know income tax rates have to go up folks, right? I mean, and some kind of tax has to go up. Um, and so after what I've seen with this thing like the SECURE Act, middle class is going to get hit somewhere, right? And it's probably ordinary income tax rates. And so now I, I might be in a 35, 40% income tax bracket on these dollars. So dad's $100,000 that used to get to turn into 800000 now turns into like $50,000. And, you know, you should be furious about this thing. This SECURE Act was devious, ugly stuff. The IRS had been after it for a long time, and they called it the SECURE Act, which sounds like, how could you vote against the SECURE Act? It seems like, you know, what, what do I want, the Insecure Act? You know, but, but that's what it did. And if you live in Pennsylvania, which is where I do this show, every single one of your congresspeople voted for it, all of them. Uh, and this was this was like the cross aisle extravaganza. There was no political party on the day that they voted for the Secure Act. So you got a bunch of rich people in Congress voting you out of your money. And you know the other thing that they're doing 
is is they virtually eliminated the death tax on the stuff that they own with these high lifetime exemptions. So if it's not IRAs and and you pass away and you've got assets that have grown in value, you know, wealthy people have IRAs, but wealthy people have assets, right? They have buildings and they have companies and they have things like that. Well, those aren't IRAs. And, uh, and you know, it used to be the case that a lot of people paid federal estate tax when they passed away, but not so much anymore because of the lifetime exemptions and where they are. And I'm getting back. I, I've got nothing against wealthy people. This is not a thing against wealthy people. I work with a lot of wealthy people. We help them try to avoid taxes. Okay, so what, it's the way the game is played. But these government rules seem to be hitting middle-class guy in his pocket, and you need to be aware of them. You need to look and see if there's planning options for you, and I encourage you, come check out the workshop that we do. So if you're not familiar with it, uh, the Seckler Law Firm, my law firm, has several times a month live in-person workshops where we talk about this. I've talked to you about how to protect your stuff from the nursing home. We talk about the SECURE Act. We talk about how to properly leave your money to your kids so that those dollars are not exposed to things like their potential future divorces and whatnot because you didn't work your whole life just to leave assets exposed to these issues, right? I mean, look, we all want first to provide for our own retirement, but if there are leftovers when I'm done, I want it to get to my kids. I want them to have an opportunity to have a better lifestyle. I'm not so keen on the government or the nursing home getting the money. And if I feel that way, well, there's things I can do. I can sign that Declaration of Independence against this thing. I, I can take steps to say, I see what you're doing. I'm not for it. Here's how it's going to happen for my family. I'm going to create my own rule book that says, I'm not losing it all to taxes. I'm not losing it all to the nursing home. I'm fighting for myself here. I'm fighting for my own freedom. I'm fighting for the freedom of my kids. And my kids are going to get these dollars, not you guys. right? And if you feel like I feel... That's important stuff. So come check us out. SecklerLawFirm.com. S-E-C-H-L-E-R LawFirm.com. There you can find out all kinds of information. I think I've got like 60 or 70 blog articles on there where you can read and learn about all of these different uh, issues that we're talking about. I've got pre-recorded workshops. So if you can't come to one of our old ones, you can check out the previously recorded asset protection workshop. You can check out the nursing home Medicaid workshop. If you've got somebody in a nursing home or about to be in a nursing home and wants to know and you want to know how those rules work and how you can protect yourself, you can find all that information under the workshops tab at secklerlawfirm.com, S E C H. L-E-R lawfirm.com. All right. Now, real quick, I want to chat to to the young families out there or to the grandparents out there. If if um, because let's be honest, I I don't I'm not sure how many young parents have the ability to listen to the radio at nine o'clock on a Saturday morning. You know, the kids are going crazy all over the house. We we don't have time to sit and listen to the radio. Um, But grandparents, I need you to talk to your kids. Okay, and we need to talk to your kids about the importance of planning. Um, I've run into some unfortunate situations in the last year or two where uh, I'm doing post-death work for families who have lost parents of young children. And it uh, I've got some that were prepared and I've got some that were not prepared. And I implore you, if you are a parent of a young child, to give some consideration to the fact that you need to do some planning. And I'm not talking about the kind of planning 
that you print the thing off the internet and you try to make yourself feel better because you can check the box that you have a will. That's not planning. That's a document. What I'm talking about is a plan that says, if I pass away in an accident, not only my will names guardians down the road, but who's going to go pick up my kid the first night I'm gone? I don't want my kid living with social services the night they lose their father. I want my kids with a family member or a neighbor or a friend. If I pass away, this person can show up with a document that is the standby guardianship document. Tell the social services person, you're not taking that kid. I am. And you can take that kid into a loving environment rather than a cold government environment. That's the kind of planning, guys that you need to do for your kids. And that's just one example. But that's not a thing you're going to do on the internet. That's not a thing that one of these things is going to print off. We need to talk about control and access of the money. We need to make sure that if you pass away, we've got somebody in control of the money for the kids uh, so that um, they can be raised with morals and values consistent to yours. Somebody with those morals and values has the pen to the checkbook. And the other thing, speaking about leaving money to the kids, is almost all... Young parents are underinsured. I ran into a family that lost a mother, no insurance. We got to go get the insurance, guys. You got to have enough insurance. You can't just rely on the government plan. You got to do it right. Okay, so young parents, parents of young kids, check out on my website, the Life and Legacy course, secklerlawfirm.com, S-E-C-H-L-E-R, lawfirm.com. Go to the workshops tab and find the Life and Legacy course. It's an online course where we teach you all the things you need to know to create an effective estate plan, okay? So listen, I'm running out of time. I appreciate you listening. I hope everybody has a 4th of July that is exceptional. Please take a moment to uh, to remember those people who risked it all so that we can have this awesome lifestyle. And I, uh, I look forward to chatting with you next week. Thanks for listening. This has been the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great plans. SecklerLawFirm.com or call 724-841-1393.